you don't have to get out a loan as a source of funding. You can have a line of credit set up with a lending institution or multiple lines of credit with multiple lending institutions, and you don't necessarily, depending on the terms of your agreement, have to use them. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Today, we're going to talk about how to waterproof your e-commerce business against geopolitical storms that are coming. A suitable seafaring metaphor for a global uh, situation. Maybe it's a British kind of habit to talk uh, naval metaphors. Just a reminder of the problems which we discussed in the last episode. If you didn't catch that, might be worth ca- catching that. The simple version is the demand side means increasing consumer costs on home heating, travel and food costs means that there is quite a, a challenge for Uh, consumers to have discretionary spending power, which means they may well spend a lot less on a lot of categories or or types of price points may be challenged as well. Uh, We're already seeing that, I believe, in the latest economic data in America. It's now the 30th of April when recording this, 2022. But I imagine if you're listening to this in months down the line, it will be only more of the same. And then on the supply side, massive constraints. There's COVID, zero COVID policy in China, currently very active. Again, if you're listening later in 2022 or even 23, that may well still be the case. There's containers, shortage, container ship shortage. And then, of course, oil cost and availability has been hugely challenged by the Russia-Ukraine war. There could indeed, by the time you're listening to this, be another war in the Middle East, which happens every so often. And uh, raw materials uh, such as metals are both both more expensive and uh, harder to get. So that's the situation we're in. So we need some, we got some big global problems. We need some big solutions. And that's what we're focused on today. Jason, are you yeah. ready to plunge into some geopolitical strategic solutions? I am. I am indeed. And uh, I, I think we've got a good little list here of strategies and tactics that people can employ to waterproof their business against the storm. And yeah. so, yeah, let's jump into it, man. You want to kick these topics off or how do you want to go? Yes. So I want to just talk about meta strategies, if you like, of uh, two things that I think we've discussed before about diversification and pivoting or rather the sort of link between the two is preparing to pivot. So diversifying is a classic investor's way of thinking about managing risk. And as entrepreneurs, we have a habit of focusing very hard in a small niche, which is often a very wise thing. And we often focus on one or two supply sources, which is actually often not a wise thing, but because we are, there's only one one of me and one of you and one of anyone who's running a business, unless you have a massive team, which tends to you know be hard to get and expensive, then we... I haven't got the bandwidth to think about diversification. Unfortunately, I believe that in the current situation, that's no longer an option. I don't think it's a nice to have. I think it's a must have. The good news is if you've diversified, for example, the markets you will talk about the different types, the markets you sell into or the places you get 
goods from, to put it into simple terms, then you have the option to pivot. And that's really something that, again, a lot of us may be forced into. The only other thing I'd say on this, and I love your thoughts on this, is diversification is a choice. A pivot is often a forced thing. You have to pivot. So you do. But you can only pivot if you have somewhere else to go. If you have one plan and that plan ceases to work, then you're done. And it's, it's shutting the doors time. And that's the main thing to, to avoid. So I think that's the, the driving force of all this. Why are we bothering with this is we have to find yeah. a way for business continuity, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You On the outline, you, you put the word diversification. And I, something about that didn't strike me as quite right. And But I get your point, And I agree that you want to be ready to diversify. But I'm not sure it's diversification that you're really seeking. I think Maybe the, the word that came to my mind was be nimble. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, be ready to diversify, but might you might not be diversifying. You might just be, be ready to switch pliers, re- suppliers, ready to switch uh, sales channels, ready to switch team or work style. I saw one company announced yesterday that I think it was Airbnb, their whole business now. You can live any, if you work for them, you can mm-hmm. live anywhere in the world and work remotely and they'll bring teams together, but that's their new policy forever. And they, the nimbleness to make changes, I think is crucial in the kind of environment we're, we're entering into. And I, I think that's the core mental strategic piece. And so I guess that's just a little different than diversify. Hopefully you don't have to diversify. Hopefully your yes. business stays together and it's beautiful and you just continue to scale. But Maybe you do have a supply problem or maybe you have a sales channel problem and you need to be ready to make changes. And I think it's the readiness, the pre- preparation to change. That's mm. the central thesis that, that, that I think we go into this uh, time of geopolitical uh, challenges and storms geared with and, and armed with. Yeah, I think you're right. It could be that for some people, diversification would make sense, meaning we'll get into some details. But for example, if you just sell in the UK, for example, you might choose to sell in the UK and a little bit in, in America. So that would be straight up diversification. It could be that you, in some cases, as you're saying, and I, I agree entirely, are preparing to pivot, but don't, don't press the go button. So you, you start exploring suppliers in Mexico, for example, which is bound to be harder work in most cases and uh, possibly less reliable, less quality than your current suppliers in China. That might be a very typical scenario. In that case, I'd entirely agree. You want to prepare to pivot, but you wouldn't necessarily press the go button immediately because it could be a lot of time and energy yeah. in the wrong way. So yeah. absolutely. And so, yes, preparing is the key. I think you're right. And then Nimble is a great word. Well, let's go through these. We've got uh, multiple strategies here. I think we put them into three buckets, if I'm right, maybe mm-hmm. four. Well, let's go. So you mentioned the word nimble. Tell me about your thoughts about the word nimble. I like that. But how does this play out in this scenario for you? I think the first the first question is, do you have the mind share, mental and emotional energy, the bandwidth to say, okay, I could make changes. I could make changes all day long. Some of us just get worn out. You know, we're, just, we're just too tired to say that. I can't deal with, I can't cope with the idea of changing a lot in my business right now. And so I think part of it is having uh, mental and emotional gas in the tank and saying, okay, I, I'm, I, I could be prepared to change anything in my, about quickly and easily. That's the hallmark of small companies. It's, it's the big entrenched businesses that generally have hard time being nimble Kitchen table entrepreneurs, people who are smaller, e-commerce operators, should have the capacity to be more nimble. And, and so we want to cultivate that in your own mind and heart. And how do you do that? You Generally, it's a mental and emotional state you're in. You're not burnt. You're not frustrated or locked into systems, people, process, or sources. You've got a mindset that says, what are my alternatives? And 
having the energy emotionally to explore those and being open-minded versus closed-minded about such things. You have on the on the conversation talking points this, this fantastic phrase, which is you know, willingness to let go of sunk costs. And, and I think that's key to this, that you know, having a mindshare uh, space that says, I don't care what I what it cost me a year or two or three ago to do this or that or the other thing. I'm going to be willing to say what's as needed to meet market uh, forces. And I think that's key, that that ability to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to be tied by my investments in past thinking, systems, process, products, tools, whatever. The sunk cost fallacy is not going to snag me up. And I think that's really central to the idea of being just mentally with it and ready to make changes. Yeah, I, I agree in that entirely. So uh, just on the sunk cost, a couple of thoughts. One is... Um, it's easy to say and really hard to do. So I have to recognize it's emotional work. And that sounds like a funny sort of new agey word, but overly woke or something. But my experience is it's very real. Uh, you have to find some process, whatever it is, anything from psychotherapy to drinks with your friends, running, I don't know, whatever it is, commiserating with people at an Amazon conference, whatever processes you personally find to let go of the fact that your product, which was beautiful 12 months ago, six months ago in the crazy times we live in is suddenly no longer viable or the supply chain that worked beautifully is absolutely broken to pieces because your suppliers in Shanghai, if it is right now, could be the case. So that's one thing to recognize that what we're saying is a big ask, but it, I think a critical one. The other one, so it's emotional fitness is a business skill if you want. It sounds like a funny thing to say, but I think it is as a business leader. The second thing is related to that, a seemingly innocuous and actually grown up business practice can, I think, create a sort of fallacy without you realizing, which is year on year growth projections, year on year profitability, and so forth feels like what grown up companies do. And it is. But there's a, there's an inherent trap in that and the expecting last year to be a version of last, you know, this year to be a version of last year, you know, bigger or smaller. Whereas if the dynamics have changed violently since last year, that's no longer a, a very helpful way of thinking, uh, is my opinion. So I think that there can be a, a trap there. And I find that amongst my the, the biggest sellers I work with, yeah. who are quite robust in dealt with crises before, but they do get trapped into, oh, my sales are down on last year. And I think mm -hmm. as a comparison point, that's not a very helpful starting point. So yeah. No, I totally agree. That I was just listening to a podcast the other day, and they said one of the tests for intelligence is they'll do the simple games like how many words can you create of these letters in 60 seconds or how many how many number combinations can you make out of this or that and these simple games simple tests around creativity and the cre and, and the ability to create is a, a de facto a measure of intelligence and the reason sunk cost fallacy is interesting is because if you're pure creative in as an entrepreneur you're like we could do this and this the sunk cost fallacy will truncate three, four, five of those. And you'll say, no, I can't do that because, or no, I can't do this because. And so it, it, it cuts down your creative like energy. And that's the reason it's the party spoiler and that you really have to address it because in moments like these geopolitics going crazy with supply side and demand side changing inflation and container costs and sourcing costs and all of these things, you want to be maximally creative. And sunk cost fallacy will down that vibe. And that's that's the reason why technically I think it's important to identify it as a spoiler and then say, no, I've got to be maximally creative right now. I've got to look at all the options available and really brainstorm to the maximum to figure out how I can be effective going forward in this crazy market time. So I, th I think that's interesting. And you're right. It is mental health or, or kind of mental health fitness, I guess you could say, uh, as a like leader that. of your company, something like that. Yeah. 
It is. It's the difference between being Pollyannaish and saying, no, everything's going to be fine. Then an alternative is, and, and, and by the way, this is probably phases you go through as an entrepreneur. Like they said, the phases of grief quite similar to some of the phases of being an entrepreneur. It is an emotional roller coaster. You know? It's going to be fine. My goodness, it's really not. I can't believe the war started. I can't believe China's gone into lockdown. I can't believe XYZ. I can't believe that the, the tariffs were imposed in 2016, etc. And then there's a kind of, okay, how can I resourcefully respond to this? And to your point, letting go of mental baggage then enables you to access that creativity that, as you say, has got to be the hallmark of, of an entrepreneur. Yeah, just one one last thought on this idea. There's, it's no, it's no uh, surprise why in tumultuous times, many businesses fail. Mm. And you ask the question, why do these companies fail? Sometimes they got boxed into a capital constraint and they literally ran out of money. Sometimes they were in a business that just collapsed because of market changes on the demand side. And there they were uh, holding the, the VHS tape play when no one else wanted to buy VHS tape players or those kinds of scenarios. But I guess that my point is it, it's in radical market conditions like this when you will see entrenched players really fall apart and new upstarts really take advantage and take market share. Th- this is the time in which the those who cannot pivot and cannot be nimble will fail and those who are starting or those who can will take that void space and make it their business and and become uh, a thing because they had an opportunity because someone else was too rigid to take advantage of the opportunity that was rightfully theirs it's almost like their inheritance going into the change economy is theirs to take but they can't take it because they're not nimble they lose it someone else takes it it's yeah. very interesting times. It's yes, they are. <laughs> very interesting times. The, the Chinese curse, of course, may you live in interesting times. I mean, it could be a curse or a blessing depending on, as you say, how rigid or flexible and creative you are and how resourceful you are. Uh, talking of resources, we, we better talk about capital. You put that on the list, uh, which I didn't originally put on our list. And I, you're absolutely, we got to talk yeah. about that because one of the yeah. reasons businesses fail is they simply run out of cash to pay the bills when they forge you, i.e. Yeah. bankruptcy of some description. What are your thoughts on this? How do we even approach this? I always send people back to my favorite book of all time, Growing a Business by Paul Hawkins. And he created Smith & Hawkins, which is a wonderful company that he sold to, or ultimately got sold to Target. And one of his chapters, I always remember reading it and never never needing the information, but being reminded of it in my mind a few, you know, many times. But it was this idea related to um, money. And his comment was, always raise money before you need it. And his thinking was, it's easy to raise money when you don't need it. It's near impossible to raise money when you do need it. Therefore, you have to raise money and get your hands on capital and keep it when you don't need it. And there's two sides of hard problem there. One is the discipline of getting it. The other is the discipline of keeping it until you need it. And so his book is, is genius on that. And I think many people are in this situation where... You might have a great cash flowing business and you've never wanted debt. You've never needed money like from outside investors. And you're like, no, I'll just do this on my own device. And then the geopolitical storm hits or the tide goes out or whatever metaphor is. And you realize, gosh, it would have been handy for me to have a big line of credit or uh, a loan product or something I could tap into. And uh, and having that capital, access to that capital in uh, times like these, I think is one of the central themes of those who make it, those who survive, just have more financing options. 
And so I, I think having access to capital, whether you stockpiled it yourself and you're just a genius hoarder of cash hmm. or whether you've got loan products available to you or whatever is going to be a kingmaker or it's going to be a, a spoiler for people who are otherwise good operators. And I think that's the hard part is people who can say, I'm a great operator. Mm. I don't have any debt. Yeah. I run a great cash flow business, but the market mm. just changed and I'm ruined. And But I know I was a good operator. Yes, you were, but you didn't have capital. And I think those are the things to think about right now. Two what are your response. thoughts on that? Yeah, two yeah. responses. Um, I agree with everything you said. To the point of credit lines or loans, and you were wanted to distinguish, I think, absolutely rightly between diversifying and preparing to pivot or preparing to diversify. And this is a fantastic case in point. To your point, you don't have to get out a loan as a source of funding. So a source of funding, diversification or preparing to diversify or, or pivoting. Right, Those are the, the three options you know, prepare, diversify or actually pivot. You can have a line of credit set up with a lending institution or multiple lines of credit with multiple lending institutions. And you don't necessarily, depending on the terms of your agreement, have to use them. But to the point, Paul Hawkins, excellent point. So true. They say a banker will give you a, a coat to use until it starts, you know, give you an umbrella when it's dry. And then as soon as it starts raining, they take it back off you. And that's the joke, isn't it? And there is something, yeah, if you loan up credit, you don't have to take the loan, but it's ready. And that is exactly what you're saying, preparing to pivot without actually axing it. And that's super smart because you're giving yourself options and it gives you maximum options for the future. The other thing is, Great operators without capital won't survive. I guess what that means is there will be a massive transfer of wealth and assets from the people who are good operators and built a beautiful brand but can't afford to run it anymore. There will be. People with capital who want to buy beautiful brands. Mm -hmm. That implies to me your thoughts on that. Yeah, it reminds me of exactly what I said this on our uh, call-in podcast on Tuesday morning, which is, by the way, on the Colin app. If you haven't checked that out yet, go do that. We've got Chris Green and Kyle Hamer who join us for a four-way four conversation. But my comment there was to look at what Elon Musk did with Twitter at the meta level, which was identify an asset that was valuable that he saw huge potential in, in essence, editing its operating this with his tweaks, changes, and, and perceived improvements. And he bought it. And the geopolitics that we're entering and the inflationary stage we're entering in the economy and many people are predicting massive recession ahead and all of this uh, hardship, I think the, uh, the primary idea here is there will be massive transfer of business ownership. People were, many baby boomers are just done. They're done. They're in their late 60s or 70s. They've had a good run since the 80s or whenever. They're ready to sell off uh, their business, whether they were e-commerce operators at this point or just brick and mortar. Th that whole wave of change by itself is a massive wave of business transition, let alone all the people who get in themselves into trouble as e-commerce operators who have created brands or uh, good product lines, whatever it is, and, and they will not have the, uh, the ability to proceed. And for those who are ready, willing, and able to step in and make that kind of change, happen and be the new owner of a, a hurt or a, a struck business, or, or maybe it's a beautiful product line that's just being run by someone who's just done. This is the time in which uh, these changes will occur at massive acceleration. And my only commentary on Tuesday was you learn to be a business buyer yeah, and have capital and be nimble. These are the elements that go into succeeding in this uh, tumultuous time. Yeah, I guess some people will be in a position to buy businesses if, they, if their business is in a good position and others will be simply surviving. So it depends on your position. But either which way, 
objectively, if you look zoom back from the individual's position, you're so right that there are going to be transfers of assets. Big transfers tend to happen in times of crisis. And I really love the fact that you brought in demographics there because as a disciple of Peter Zion's thinking, which is geography and demographics are there, they're not exactly destiny, but they're closest we can get to very reliable predictors of what will happen over the longer term. Um, I think the baby boom retirement was always going to be a thing. And I think that COVID has shown that up because one of the reasons I suspect that there's a Labour Party, sorry, a Labour market shortage in the US, Europe, UK, everywhere, really, is because a lot of people have just retired during COVID and they're not coming back into the workplace. And the other thing that you just put your finger on is the other thing of the transfer of baby boomers owning assets and selling them off. Literally, my father is is older than a baby boomer. He's, I suppose, the silent generation, but he's literally just sold off some commercial property because he was done with managing it. And and that's not untypical. They just, they don't want the stress anymore. And yeah, so I think what's happened with the last couple of geopolitical shocks, COVID and, and now wars in Ukraine to start with for the moment, is that they have accelerated an underlying trend anyway, which is very interesting. And so I like the fact you brought that in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the next part of our conversation, I think, is like identifying the uh, the opportunities to pivot or to to make change uh, reality in your business. And there, these fall into categories. How, what yeah. do, where do you look? How do you see opportunities in the market space to either shift your own work differently into a new way, or for businesses that are in those spaces that maybe are in need of a rescue? And so those fall into different categories and you've, you've broken it down here. One is to look at the supply. Oh, go ahead. Jump in. Either yeah, way. you can break it up any which way you want. My instinct is to start with the demand side because if there's mm-hmm. no demand, you don't even need to worry about the supply. I, I'm just sure. on that point. For example, Germany is the second biggest Amazon marketplace in the world. It's the most powerful economy and it's got wealthy consumers that buy a lot of physical goods. Germany's demand could just drop off a cliff pretty much at any point if that, for example, somebody in Ukraine blows up all the pipelines coming from Russia to Germany, which would make sense because it is they're getting a billion euros a day, about a billion dollars a day. The Russians are from from Europeans to pay for oil as it stopped flowing. But that could happen. Russia could turn it off. All the Europeans could decide that they're willing to bite the bullet and collectively under the pressure probably of the US turn those taps off from their side. So there are three parties in this conflict that could cause that to happen if that happens then germany's going to go into the most almighty recession uh, since the second world war i think is pretty pretty predictable which means that demand side could crater pretty pretty instantly i don't know whether it takes a one or two or three months to, to feed through or one or two weeks mm-hmm. or people just panic that's hard to predict yeah. but that's an example that if you sell for example just in germany of why geographical uh, diversification of your market so who you sell to and where the demand actually is could change so rapidly that I think diversifying as in not just preparing to sell, but actually getting on with selling in the US, I would say is a necessity now. And that's not an easy ask because the US is big markets, requires more capital, is hyper competitive. Mm. And it's a cultural shift as well. Selling to Germans is not the same as selling to to Americans. So it's a big ask, but I think it's it's really important to consider that sort of thing. Hey folks, thank you so much for listening to the e-commerce leader. There are a lot of challenges in e-commerce right now from geopolitics and i say right now whenever you're listening i don't think they will have gone away (laughs) so waterproofing your e-commerce business against the political storm geopolitical storms i should say driven by economics politics lots of factors is i believe a non-negotiable critical business skill 
hope you found today uh, thought-provoking at the very least and helpful, preferably in your thinking about this. If you want to check out our other podcasts on that topic, then go to theecommerceleader.com for some show notes and resources uh, linked to the podcast as ever. Don't forget to check us out on your podcast player of choice and do subscribe on these Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, lots of places. And do leave us a rating uh, or review if you enjoy today's show. Really, I think it comes down to uh, a willingness to grasp the nettle at this point and uh, to really do your own investigating. Do listen to our second episode on this topic where we'll be talking more about the strategies that you can employ to deal with the challenges in e-commerce from geopolitics. And that's all really part of us trying to help you be an e-commerce leader. And right now, leadership is needed more than ever before. Good luck with it. Do get in touch with any of your comments or thoughts. And if you want to get some uh, coaching from Jason or myself, you can find us at our respective websites, omnirocket.com for Jason and amazingfba.com for myself. Thanks so much for listening. Look forward to seeing you in the next show. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.